Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. With the release of the Dungeon Master's Guide, we wanted to talk the fine art of Dungeon Mastering today. And so in our first segment, we speak with Scott Kurtz, no stranger to the halls of Wizards of the Coast as cartoonist of PvP and Table Titans. And in our second segment, we speak with two more members of the Wizards of the Coast family, Sarah and Jefferson, about their experiences and advice running a game. So for our first guest, uh, we speak with Scott Kurtz, Eisner Award-winning cartoonist of PvP and Table Titans, who also plays Binwin Bronze Bottom in the Acquisitions, Inc. live games at the PAX shows. So Scott, how did you get into Dungeons & Dragons? Uh, I got into Dungeons & Dragons. The basic set was brought home by my father. It was the blue box. And uh, I think followed by the red box. But I think he had been playing with his friends. He was probably in his 30s at the time. And he had shown us the game. He had some characters, and we, he, he took us through a couple adventures. And then shortly after that, I was visiting my cousin, who was three years my senior, and he had discovered Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. And he was showing me how, instead of just this little floppy book that comes in the box, you know, there was a thick book, almost as thick as the whole, my whole game, there was one book that's just, you know, for just one of the books. And he had all the hard covers, and then I was hooked. I mean, there was so much minutia there. It was so much. So it was between my dad and my cousin, it was pretty early, an easy thing. And then my friends that I got into table in the 80s, when we were teenagers, got into tabletop gaming, and at the time... Uh, TSR was kind of, we did all the TSR games. So Gamma World, uh, Star Frontiers, Top Secret, the Marvel game. Like, we did everything. Villains and Vigilantes, but we always kept coming back to, to D&D. It was fantasy. Since we're kind of talking about the, the DMG in particular, I guess my follow-up then would be, how did you transition into being a dungeon master or a game master for some of the other systems? Did you take turns? Were you always drawn to it? I... I love playing up to creating my character, <laughs> and then I get super bored. Um, and it's it's a it's a fight for me to keep interest as a player. I get very excited about the character. I kind of write my story in his his story or her story in my head, and then it's time to just play, and I'm bored. I want to write the story. I want to tell the story. So uh, being a dungeon master for me. Uh, was always something that I preferred and my friends preferred. They liked, I think they, they knew I liked to tell stories, so I, they were always asking me to DM. Uh, so it, it, <laughs> I did it because I'm not a very good D&D player. <laughs> I, get, I get bored pretty quick. Uh, and it's been, you can ask uh, uh, Rodney, who's, who DMs our regular game. So Rodney Thompson is yeah. one of our R&D uh, staffers. He is my he is my current dungeon master and uh, and it's it's sometimes difficult. I constantly forget my character sheet. He has to keep my character sheet because I've forgotten it so many times. Uh, so in my yeah. experiences, that player sometimes tends to be the troublemaker because if they're not involved with the action, they're going to get involved with something maybe they shouldn't be. No, I'm actually I'm playing a ranger that spent most of his life in the woods talking to animals, so he does not like being around people that much. And the only reason I'm in the group is because 
Um, another player, um, Lane Daughtry, he he plays my character's brother. So I got pulled into this mess by my brother. And I'm ready to go back to the woods. So it's what's really easy is the character is, has built into it that I don't care about much that's going on. <laughs> I'll do what my brother tells me. I don't care about gold. I don't care about my half of the treasure. I don't need it. I'm going to go back in the woods and hang out with the animals. So... <laughs> Um, Can we go home yet? Yeah, that's kind <laughs> of. I keep keep joking that I want to head back to the Shire, but yeah. So I, I'm low key. I'm I'm letting other people take uh, the spotlight on this game because the other game I play, which is live on stage, it's nothing but spotlight. Yeah. Literal spotlights. No. So I'm 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 the backseat player in in our regular game. The right reluctant there. hero. I did want to ask about Benwin. Yes. So he was not a character of yours from your early days gaming. Was he was created the specifically? The name was Benwin ah. has always been kind of the name of my characters. I've always just used it over and over. Bronze Bottom, I made up as an alliteration when I decided this version of Benwin would be a dwarf fighter. Uh, so and now he's stuck there. I don't yeah. think anyone else can be Benwin now. <laughs> so no, he was created just for that game. Uh, I always liked the name. I don't know how I came up with it, um, but so I, I used it because it was it was right in the forefront of my brain. So he's like Doctor Who. There's different incarnations. Yes, there's different. There have been different incarnations of Benwin. There's been a, a, a rogue, a ranger. There have been different Benwins. Is this like Benwin the third dies? So then you make Benwin the fourth, and then he's, <laughs> but he's slightly different. Is that no, he's trapped here? now. Now he's a dwarf. He has a lineage. I wrote a big family tree for him one time, and he has like eight brothers and one sister, and so. Yeah, you guys have helped immortalize him. Oh, the clan's a thing now. The Bronze Bottom Clan is... It is a thing. definitely been immortalized in story. So. Definitely. So goes from there. So let's get things back to the DMs a little bit. Uh, so you transition from player to DM. You definitely sound like you love telling the story better. What's your fondest memory as a DM? Boy, wow. Uh, so probably my proudest moment as a DM was when I took six players... Who many of whom were new to D and D, through one whole night of playing where no combat happened, it was a trial. They were on trial, <laughs> and I thought this is going to be a huge experiment, and they're either going to love it or they're going to hate it, and they loved it. I mean, I was so thrilled. Um, Chris Straub was playing a bard, and Chris was their defense attorney. <laughs> and they had witnesses, and I mean, a lot of the players just kind of sat around listening to it and kind of talking amongst themselves and kind of whispering to each other, but man, I had them hooked, I had them hooked, and there was not one dice roll that night. I think there was maybe a bluff or something, but I was really proud of that. Um, that is a comp that is tied with another moment that happened at this year's Gen Con. I found out that uh, the guy that sells all of our merchandise, Guy Brandy, works for We yeah. Love Fun. He has a lot of D&D stuff, too. Um, found out he'd never played D&D. Had all the books as a kid, but couldn't get anyone to play. So I said, we'll play. We'll play tonight at the hotel. And it was him and a couple of guys that work for him and, and, uh, and then another friend of ours and Corey, a couple friends of ours. And they were terrified. They didn't want to play. And I got them to play. And they had a blast. So... Um, one of them, I think, is uh, he is kind of a jock and works for We Love Fine, but the next day he was out buying dice. Nice. I mean, Gen Con, not really a scene, but the next day when I found out he was at the Chess X booth buying dice the next day, <laughs> I was proud. So, that is awesome. Yeah. So, 
for that first one, yeah. What do you think made it so awesome? Like, what, 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 what? If you could emulate something and pass that off as advice to to people, like, what made that that trial so cool for everybody? Um, I don't know. Courtroom dramas are fun. <laughs> <laughs> everyone uh, loves Law and Order, the RPG. Everyone it's loves clear. everyone it's loves Boston Legal and a few good men. Um, I think it was that it was new for them and that, um, yeah, they were all at risk of never leaving that town and I and I and I think that that um it made them use a different set of skills and it made them put aside their character sheet especially back in fourth edition it was easy for players to get overwhelmed by all their choices so I think I think the pressure was off where they could put that character sheet aside and just role play and not worry so much about whether they were going to hit or miss or if they understood their statistics correctly or if they were using the right um, abilities at the time, and I think that's why. Um, and it was a good, it was a good kind of learning experience for everyone. They all had a chance to kind of role play, kind of force them to role play a bit. So for that group that had never played before, mm -hmm. are there ways that you approach those games a little differently? Do you have certain things that you would love to spring on a new player or <laughs> or ease them into the game to give them sort of that level of confidence that maybe they didn't have at first? I have tricks for new players. Um, I tend to... I, what I'd like to do with new players is I like to make them think that certain ideas were theirs because a new player, especially someone who's watched other people play D&D, their biggest fear is when it comes to be their turn, they won't know what to say, especially in a role-playing situation. So anything you can do to get their head wrapped around who they are as a character um, was uh, is good. And you know, one of the things I did for one of the players at that game was I we had I just had pre-made character sheets for them. Didn't let them have to worry about anything. Um, so one guy got the wizard, and I said. Um, uh, I said, you have a magic item in there. Uh, you do have one magic item since you're a wizard, and I'm, I'll, I'll tell you later what it is. And then we were all at a hotel bar playing. We had cleared off some tables over in the corner, and we were playing downstairs, and he had almost spilled a drink. And I said, hey, it's not cool to play D&D &D drunk, and he had, it wasn't even an alcoholic beverage that he had knocked over. <laughs> but um, it dawned on me right then that his character was a fan of the drink. And I said, your magic item is a flask that never empties. And so every time he missed a roll, I would say, I think, you know, you missed the roll, and I think it's because you're a little inebriated. And then everyone would yell at him and say, stop drinking. We told you stop drinking. So it kind of, it provided them with some kind of a role-playing hook. It, then pretty soon he started playing the character as, as that way. And then he decided that he was a gambler too. And <laughs> um, But you just kind of have to ease them into it, and you have to... Give them opportunities to to see that it, there's no mistakes to be made here when you're role playing. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and then I also usually fake a mistake myself to break the ice. Fake a mistake? Uh huh. Yeah, I fake a mistake. <laughs> Where I'll do something and then I'll say, "Oh, guys, you know what? I messed up. That didn't happen. Actually, your thing hit. Your thing missed. I'm sorry. I rolled the dice wrong. That happens in D and D. You guys will do it too. Oh, okay. You That's know. Cool. So it's not like you know, everyone knows what they're doing, and you're not going to know what to do, so. I have to remember that one, because usually I just make a mistake. Um, <laughs> so. Well, if you do make a mistake, just pretend that you didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I meant to do that, guys. Yeah. To make you feel better. That's the way I'll, I'll, I'll go with that one. 
So we talked a little bit about what you've done as a DM, uh, which I think has probably given people a picture, but I'll just ask straight up, like, what, what kind of DM do you think you are? Like, sometimes you'll see, like, the killer DMs or the ones that really love to run dungeon crawls and action. What kind of, what kind of DM would you categorize yourself as? Um, I'm definitely after those moments. I'm after the moments where in a year or two, the group is going to be sitting together saying, remember that time when we got into all that trouble and this happened and that happened and everyone laughs and it's a moment that stuck with them and it's, you know, a real memory just like anything they did together in real life running around. It's that, you know, those little moments, those fun moments. Um, and I've definitely gotten myself too deep in a storyline before and written myself in corners, but the moments were good. The beats were good. Um, and so I'm not a killer DM, uh, except when I wrote The Minds of Madness, but that was on purpose. Yeah. We can talk well, about that we'll later. Talk but about The Minds of Madness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was kind of a, in parody of that. But it's a, it's a balance because if you're the DM that will never kill anybody then it, the stakes don't feel real to the players. Um, but um, I'm not out to get them. I'm definitely not out to get them. But I need to be um, a good um, showrunner in that there's real threats here and in, in, in real danger. And, you know, if you're smart, you can avoid them. And if you don't, then then there, there will be consequences. So... Asking about Table Titans for a moment. Sure. Uh, the, the comic is about role players. Mm -hmm. There's characters out of the game. You see action in the game. Is there some back and forth between the comic panels and your games? Are there moments that the games have inspired certain comics and, and vice versa? Has the comic storyline given you ideas for, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that for, for Yeah, the definitely. Game. Well, The Minds of Madness was, was an idea that was in the comic that we turned into a module. Um, it, the comic was making fun of some of those really impossible modules back in the day, like Tomb of Horrors or, yeah. or um, what was the other one? Uh, White Plume Mountain. White Plume Mountain Tomb was Horrors, the really Plume nutty Plume. one. Yeah. Uh, and so we definitely poured all that in, into that module. Um, but yeah, I mean, I came up with an idea. I came up with an idea that I want to put into the next. Um, season of Table Titan, so I don't feel like I don't want to talk about it and spoil it. But yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, they're interchangeable, so definitely. Speaking of Table Titans, yeah, so Brendan, Brendan, yes, is the DM uh, currently running the Table uh -huh. Titans through stuff. Uh, now, we, we, if, if you haven't read the comic, he's a super nice guy. Seems like he's pretty good at the DM side of things too. He's kind of throwing people for a loop a little bit sometimes. What what kind of DM is Brendan? Uh, Brendan is the kind of DM that I think Brendan wants everyone to learn something at the table. Um, and he definitely wants to tell a story over making sure that everyone follows the rules. And he's definitely not uh, out to kill them all. You know, you will feel my wrath DM. <laughs> uh, but he will, he will put people in, in situations they're not comfortable with if he thinks that it's good for them to learn the, the true nature of what the game should be. I mean, all of season one of Table Titans, that first book, he made them play characters that they normally wouldn't play, specifically to make them think differently than they always had. Um, I don't think Brendan's a big fan of rules lawyers, but he understands them. He's a pretty forgiving DM. Uh, but uh, we'll see how... We'll, we're going to experiment. 
here down the road and uh, explore how far he can be pushed. Yeah. Because some of the some of the Titans are 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 pushier players. So. Oh, definitely, definitely. Do you think he's modeled after anybody in particular in your life, or is this like an amalgam of different DM stuff that you've seen or experienced? He's definitely my type of DM playing, but he's also kind of modeled after a kid in junior high that ran a D and D game for us. Um. In, in temperament and kind of uh, emotional temperament, who was named Brendan, so, <laughs> yeah. So any likenesses to Bren- Brendan in real life may actually be true, so. Yeah, <laughs> N- yeah. It, spe- well, in emotional temperament, definitely, hmm. yeah. <laughs> he definitely wants to be liked, too. Yeah. I mean, but I think that's common throughout all the Titans. Yeah. Well, should we talk about Minds of Madness? We yeah, kind of well, touched upon it a little bit, but... That's uh, a great place to go next. Yeah. I mean, that was run at... PAX Prime for the first time, was it what, four years ago? PAX, I don't remember. No, I it was PAX, PAX East. East. PAX it East? was PAX East like two and a half, two years ago. Getting old. Can you remember my PAX? I know. They, well, there's so many of them now and mm-hmm. they all blend together. <laughs> but yeah, it was um, two years ago, I think. And uh, man, that was such a crazy event. So how did the, the whole project sort of coalesce from the references and table titans to an actual, hey, here's we're going to sit down at the table and play we, this adventure? I did a storyline where with the titans in the pages of PvP, my other webcomic, which is table titans is a spinoff from PvP. But those characters had heard of this module that Gary Gygax had written, and there was only one copy of it, and it was kept in an obsidian box. And only RPG members who passed certain tests got to try it. And it's eaten. no one's ever gotten all the way through it. And um, Alan got a copy of it and a DM that agreed to take him through it. And if they beat it, they'd be the greatest gaming team of all time. So it was this kind of, in the context of the, of the, of the comic, it was this mythical adventure that only a few had seen. And so it was ridiculous. It was just trap after trap after trap. And in the story, um, he immediately falls into a pit, and the, at the bottom of the pit of a gel- is a gelatinous cube, and he's dissolved. And then the cleric tries to bind his soul to this plane so it doesn't go away completely, and he bound him to the cube. So he became like a walking gelatinous cube and then just burned his way through yeah. most of the dungeon. Yeah, he, was, he was an adventuring god at this point. Yeah, place. he was an advent. It was really... Really, I want to bring back the walking gelatinous cube. It was a ton of fun to draw. That so skeleton. Make him a villain in yeah. the next Minds of Madness. Yeah, he would be. So I, I think that's that's actually what led to the talks to start Table Titans itself was because... Stupid phone buzzing. Of course, Corey is, is buzzing me. <laughs> hey, he doing, knows I'm hey, here. Hey, you doing that podcast you're supposed to be doing right oh, now? Did you make it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> How's the podcast going? <laughs> um, we love you, Corey. It's fine. So I, I think I Twittered or tweeted, or whatever the kids are calling it, I, um, I Facebooked, <laughs> that um, writing the story made me want to write it as a module. Like, it would be fun to write as a module. And then was it you that yeah. said, hey, we should talk? Yeah, it's like, I, we could, we, this, we is can, thing. this is a thing. We can do. So I think we had a discussion. I remember Perkins writing down a list meticulously on the board that looked like it had been that had been printed on the board. It's like a the robot. board had been shipped yeah. that way. Yeah. All, all, all <laughs> like his writing is yeah. crazy. You, you, you watch him at the live game and you think you know Chris Perkins, and then you like get into a, a meeting room with him, and he draws a map of of some random campaign thing yeah. that he's thinking about, and he draws it like like the board is, is, is graph paper. Yep, it's that perfect. And you're like, what have you done? But if you were to get a level, you would see that it's perfectly level. Exactly. Sorry, yeah. but yeah, we've digressed. Um, 
But we just made a list and discussed art assets and all that. And then um, Perkins and I just got really excited about doing it. And I'm a big idea man, and I'm not good at details when it comes to that stuff and writing an adventure and making sure it's balanced. Although Minds of Madness did not have to be balanced, balanced. at all. Oh, look, there's an outhouse. Oh, look, there's yeah. a purple worm. Oh, look, we're all dead. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh... Yeah. <laughs> So I would I wrote a bunch of ideas down of different traps and then Perkins filled in the rest and connected them all together. Um, I like the one I came up with that I really liked was the the hallway that never ends if you're running towards it. It just kind of grows. You have to turn around and back your way out. And in the center of the hallway when the spell activates is um uh the skeleton of an elf and a dwarf that did not get along that got trapped in it. <laughs> and the elf shot himself with a bow <laughs> to, to end it all because he was trapped in the hallway. I just thought that was funny. Like, how would that even work? <laughs> um, I have to end it all. All I have is my bow. <laughs> like, yeah. That's how good of a shot he was. Exactly. I'm sure Legolas could do yeah. it. So Legolas can do uh, it. It's yeah. a great adventure. I remember recording the, the podcast when you guys were playing through right. it. And oh, the man. first... Man, scenario was, hey, what's in the outhouse? What's in the outhouse? And then that, yeah. that didn't end well. What's really awesome is at the PAX event, there was one group who had a druid, and the worm comes out and killed one of them, and he spear animal charmed the purple worm, <laughs> and they rode him to the end of the dungeon. <laughs> and then I said, I told Perkins, like, wow, they were on the end of the dungeon. He goes, yeah, that's why I put that thing in there where if you go down the thing straight to the end, you have to kind of work your way back. Oh. And I'm like, oh, you're a, you're, a, you're a mean man, Chris Perkins. For all the people out there who might be saying, you can't use animal charm, blah, 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 on a purple worm. You can in Minds of Men. It's all right. You it's, can. It's that kind of adventure. Yes. No, but that was it was a great adventure. And you guys, you and Perkins, for that first game, were like walking around doing like extra special, like, like yeah, we had messing with story yeah, events. Yeah, that would give people boons or not boons. So that was obviously a bit more elaborate as far as the, the preparation and the actual composition of the adventure. For... Uh, DMs at home running their own games, do you have any advice for preparations for creating an adventure, for running an adventure that you've found over the years has been helpful to you? Um, is If you're running it, writing one or running one, like preparation-wise? Well, yes. I mean, <laughs> Both. Um, I, I think that you can, you know, the thing to remember is you can wing it a lot more than you think you can. And a good dungeon master can roll with the punches and make it all seem like that's what was planned the whole time. Um, you can get yourself in trouble. <laughs> I got myself in trouble. Uh, the concept I did one time was that the party was hired by a mage, a chrono mage, who was experimenting with time, and he had a tower full of different versions of himself from different times. And he was um, sending the adventurers off to find out uh, something had damaged time and he was repairing it. Um, and then the, the thing was going to be was that eventually he gets, he, all the experimenting and stuff that he's doing is what actually, he's the one that damages time. So at the end, yeah, they end up fighting him. But it got so convoluted with time travel and back and forth and different versions of him, there was no way to not make a mistake. But it didn't <laughs> matter because I distracted the players a lot with, ad-libs and, and nice moments. One of the moments was, um, he said, this adventure I'm sending you on, you're going to need some better gear. So I'm going to open a portal, and on the other side will be some gear for you. And they're like, well, how do we know who's for what? He's like, don't worry, you'll know. 
So they go through the portal, and they're in the city they were in before, but the city's been destroyed, and there's there's just burnt corpses in front of them with all this great gear on it. And as they're looting the corpses, they realize, oh, well, this is for a warrior. Oh, this is for a cleric. And they go, oh, wait a minute. This is us. <laughs> this, These are our own bodies, right? <laughs> and they come through, and he's like, they're like, was that us? And he's like, yeah, that's what happens if we don't succeed. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. But don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, I can reset time if it, if it fails. And they're like, how many times have we failed? <laughs> he's like, Let's not talk about that. <laughs> and it, it was nothing that I had – something I came up on the fly, and they thought it was so cool. It was just an idea I had right at the last minute. He was gonna, originally going to open a chest and give them some, some equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, I could not get them to spend money. Oh, they yeah. kept amassing gold, and they yeah. would not spend it. Um, Miserly heroes, man. That happens all the time. Like, oh, my yeah. money. Oh, man. I took care of it, though. They, um, they went into a town – with a spell that it cast on that turned all metal into gold, mm-hmm. so it was useless, and they were just melting it down and just getting rid of it oh, because wow. they were, it was going to ruin the economy. Yeah. And then I got rid of some other stuff with a rust monster. I put them all back to zero. <laughs> nice. Um, because they just would not spend. And then they learned their lesson. Spin but no, mind. I mean, you can plan and plan and plan. You can have the whole thing laid out, and then within the first ten minutes, the players will make a decision that that sends you off in a different direction, and you have to go. You have to explore that direction, but you can wing. You can wing it. You can wing anything. You're behind that screen. Sometimes, sometimes I think the DM screen is there, simply to so you could pretend that you are doing things that you were making up. Yeah, there's all this list of cool things that you have planned, and this yeah. story back here. It's like no, that's, <laughs> it's that's, all back here. That's my grocery list, everybody. That's, Pay that's, no attention to the dungeon master. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we're probably going to wrap up here shortly, it looks like. Yes, the, actually, the time flew by faster than I, I thought was even possible. Yeah. Speaking of chrono mages, uh, I suppose I would ask uh, my final question here. We've talked about the great moments and, and preparation and things. Are there important things as a DM that you are hoping to accomplish when you're running a game? Yes, I hope to give each one of my players their solo moment. Um, much like a, in a symphony, everyone's playing together to make a, a song. All the players are kind of playing together to, to make a story. But um, you give a chance for each player to have their hero moment, You know, the one thing that only they were able to do. And you can't do it all in the first night, but um, over the course of a campaign or an adventure, you want to try to... And, and um, you know, you, you could end up with some players that are... That are a lot more outgoing than other players, and you've got to really work hard sometimes to make sure the Shire players get their moments. And sometimes you have to force it down their throats to take it, but make sure everyone gets their hero moment. And uh, I think that's important. Even a reluctant ranger. Yes, even the reluctant, <laughs> even ranger. The reluctant ranger. Yes, and Rodney just, I, I, I came back after a long absence and received uh, the quiver of Avara mm-hmm. and some archery bracers and I thought that's very specific I wonder if he's trying to <laughs> make me show up more often <laughs> I've just been super busy I'm sure you'll get your moment soon yes that's the way that works uh, well speaking of that soon moment actually uh, don't forget everybody you'll be able to see Scott and the rest of the Acquisitions Inc. crew uh, at PAX East we'll be doing another game there yeah oh good yeah <laughs> Scott, 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 has only, <laughs> Scott has only tangentially heard about this so I'm, I'm always laughing I'm confirming this for him that's good um, uh, and then of course we can plug your sites again PvP Table Titans yep. uh, great stuff and it sounds like you have a podcast you got coming out soon 
as well. Yes, we're going to be doing a Table Titans podcast. We're playing D&D very, very soon. Sweet. Yes. That is awesome, awesome yeah. stuff. Yes. So again, thank you for coming in and thank you so much for your time. Thanks and for having me. DMing. Yeah. And Absolutely. remember everybody, appreciate your DM this month. And if you want to be a DM, we're going to all these resources out, hit people up in your life like Scott, yeah. learn, learn how to do this. Everybody wants to help you be an awesome DM. Don't be afraid, just give it a shot. We're back in our second segment. Shelly Mazanoble has taken over for Trevor Kidd as we pepper two new guests with questions. Sarah Kirchie, CAP's master planner, and Jefferson Dunlap, manager of Graphic Prepress. So before we kind of get into what all that means, uh, if I could just ask you quickly if you could tell us your own history with D&D, how you got started. Well, I'm relatively new to the game. I've been playing since 2007. And That's when I started. Yeah. That was a good year. I, uh, I had started working at Wizards a few months prior and got really interested in learning how to play D&D. Um, I've always loved fantasy and reading fantasy novels. And so here was an opportunity with a whole bunch of people that were enthusiastic about the game um, so that I could give it a shot. And so I sort of put a posting out, said, anyone interested in forming a group? And um, there were actually a bunch of fellow women that were interested in learning how to play. So we ended up forming a group um, of all new players, all women, and um, some of us are still playing in the same group today. That's awesome. Sweet. Uh, I started in 1977, not to date myself, but um, <laughs> to play D&D, and I started working at Wizards uh, January 3rd, 1995. Oh. Wow. So this is year 20. 95 <laughs> 20 was 20 years. Yeah. Was it out here in Seattle? In uh, yeah, it was, was, it, it was the, the Powell building that was down the street. And I took, there was a three months, little short three months hiatus and I came back as a, uh, a contractor for a while before I got hired on. But I've been consistently working on Wizards products for 20, 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. And so you started working at Wizards before there was an inkling of TSR. Yes, coming. yes. So what was that like? You heard rumblings around the building like, well, I mean, the thing was is that even though it was like all magic, there were still plenty of D&D groups here. Yeah. And there was plenty of people playing Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, I played with, I was in a game with Peter Atkinson for a short time, and yeah, so. But um, back to Dungeons & Dragons, uh, I, was a, I started out as a player, and I was friends with a uh, family that had five sons. So I had automatically had a party. Their own D and D party. And there was uh, the the younger three, and I started playing, and then I started reading the books, and then I just started DMing, and I've been DMing ever since. Really? So you've <laughs> yes. been a DM for that long? Uh, probably around uh, off and on from the eighties, yeah. And then you know played. Since I'm a big gamer, I've played all kinds of games, but uh, Dungeons and Dragons is always something that, that I've always come back to. And I've noticed that's what a lot of people do, too. Yes, <laughs> it's, yes, that is true. We all cut our teeth on it, so we always, almost always come back to it. So how long has your current party been together? Um, the current one has not... We started in fourth edition, and I want to say about just two years, okay. I would say. Uh, my wife, Heather, had never played role-playing games, had never been to gaming, and we started with... Four, right, right around the time fourth edition first came out, and I was running some games, and we were both players in games, and she picked it up right away and loved it. 
and now she's in my game along with a couple other people from work and a couple people that used to work here. Oh, very nice. So speaking of work, our fellow wizards, can you tell us just a little bit about what you what you do here? What your I mean, you, Sarah's title has master in it, so yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, I work in our project management office, and um, I'm responsible for tools and methodology and coaching for our project managers. Oh, okay. I didn't know about the coaching part. Interesting. And I do pre-press, and what that means is I get the files, when the files are ready to go to the printer, I get them ready and send them to the vendors. And then I archive them, so not only, only am I in charge of pre-press, but I'm also in charge of the archive. So, like... When anybody needs any old art or any, needs any old files, they come to me and I de-archive them for them. I have had experience with that personally. I have too, and you've always been very kind and very prompt, so thank I think you Jeff- very much. I think Jefferson touches just about everything that we do here. Yes. Um, magic goes through me, Dungeons Dragon goes through me, yeah. So do you have any, have you had any uh, strange requests over the years? We need an old image of something, I don't remember what it is, or something bizarre. Well, what's funny is with how many images we have, we do have a system. What's funny is when the person asks and says, hey, can I have the picture of that dragon that's in that book? And there's no associated number, there's no, those are the fun requests. But um, uh, usually the older stuff is what's, what's really kind of difficult where we, when we uh, acquired TSR, we got all these CDs and they used to just back up stuff on CDs. So they kind of, some of it had a system, some of it didn't. So it was just like, (laughs) just going through CDs. Not anymore. (laughs) Thank God. I know. So when you, when the files go through you, Mm -hmm. is that the first time you're seeing some of these, like, like when the, like the player's handbook went through, you've, you probably peeked at it before then. Um, well, when they were, remember when they had like the war rooms when they were working on them? Yeah. I would always walk in and say, hey, what's up? Oh, I'm in the wrong room. <laughs> oh, oh, just take a no. lingering look around. Well, what you're working on? They were always, <laughs> no, they were always happy to see me and they always had snacks. That was also kind I know, of a cool that thing. Room. Just well, grab they had some to, they had to propel them on chocolate and, and caffeine. And I used to always say, and that's going to get to me when? <laughs> oh, yeah, you can just pretend you're checking on the progress. Yes, exactly. want to make sure. Like, do you ever just, like, take a couple extra minutes with the file and just peruse it before you send it off to the vendor or archive it? I check each page. <laughs> <laughs> for, for quality. For quality, control. yes. And, for, and, you know, make sure everything's laid out right. Actually, that I have caught stuff. Oh, good. So that is, I have no... Just take the time to look at the printouts. That's get, good. Look at the That's look good. at the uh, digital files and make sure. But I've always done that since third edition. Every third edition book, all that. I've always looked at each page. So that's requests that have come into you from work. Have there been any crazy requests that players have made from you for you as a uh, as to their DM? Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, this was way back when, and I was probably about uh, 12 or 13. One of my players said we'd gotten done with a dungeon, and we, they were flush with money. So what he wanted to do, this is a true story, he wanted to buy 200 chickens and have custom-made chain mail for them. <laughs> his reasoning... So your player was gonzo. His reasoning... <laughs> he had a good reason. He wanted it... 
instead of having the the rogue check for traps, he just wanted to throw the chickens in front <laughs> and throw seed and have them go down the hall. Well, at least he was protecting them before he did that. Yeah, but it, depending on the trap, we would have, like, cooked chicken, maybe. Oh, God. <laughs> but this was a true request. 200, and did you honor that request? Sure. Okay. <laughs> you can buy whatever he wants with that hard-earned It's gold. his money. He can buy whatever he wants. So, I yeah. have seen Sarah knitting a lot. I bet you could actually make chainmail armor for chickens. Yeah. You, that could that could be something she, if that's, there's anyone out there that actually wants. That's one stealthy party going down the dungeon <laughs> oh, yeah, with 200 like, chickens <laughs> and chainmail. <laughs> I didn't tell him that. He found that out on his own. Uh, that, yeah, you couldn't sneak anymore. <laughs> so both of you have have played D&D as, as, as players. Both of you have had your much time behind the screens, and you both prefer the role of Dungeon Master? Is that an accurate statement? I like both. Okay. Um, I don't get as many opportunities to play as I do to DM, so I have a regular Tuesday night game that I play here at the building um, that I run. And, um, but I have a game that I've been, that first game that I started playing right. and we're still playing, um, but it's, you know, once a month, it's, it's not as often. So, um, but I do enjoy it, uh, when I get that opportunity, but uh, yeah, are DMing you drawn is to fun. DMing or are you sort of like, Sarah can DM, so you're the DM. No, I, I actually, I thought it looked fun. Um, and, uh, Kurt Gould who does DMing, um, he was, uh, a good resource when I first started out, um, asked him a lot of questions. Cal Moore, who was my first DM here, um, was a great influencer on, on my decision to try DMing. So what part of it, when you were playing, looked like, that looks like fun as a dungeon master? Because for me, I look at our dungeon master and I just think, I'm so glad that's not me. I love... It's, it's so much work. <laughs> I love the world building. Okay. Um, these days, I don't have as much time to do that intensive planning and developing of worlds, so I use a lot of our published content. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, my first campaign was a homebrew campaign I made from scratch. Really? Yeah. So you really just dove right in. Yeah. As a relatively new player, you were making your own campaigns. Yes. That's amazing. That's really cool. Were there certain fantasy elements that you knew you wanted to instill in your home campaign world? Yeah, I had read a lot of the Forgotten Realms books and the Dungeon or the Dragonlance books when I was a teenager, and so that heavily influenced the the setting. Even though um, I hadn't really dove into the D and D worlds um, as a player, um, I I came with that knowledge of what those worlds were like um, from the fantasy. So yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite settings to play in is Forgotten Realms. That's good. I see playing as a vacation for me. Like okay. when the players start to see that I'm getting kind of burnt out, they'll, I'll, I'll have one of my friends that's in my group, but he'll say, hey, I'll run a game, and they'll, a one-off or whatever. But uh, normally they like me doing the DMing, and, and I, I don't mind being Dungeon Master because it really is fun. And I love, I love coming up with the adventures, and I like uh, Eberron because my, my wife really likes Eberron, and I like the pulp setting of it, like kind of like the Indiana Jones feeling of it. So, and I've combined it with. Uh, do you ever see the TV show Fringe? I have started Fringe. I have not watched as many as I thought I would, but it's on my list. So my I have very a, long TV list. So my campaign now is kind of set. It's it's set in Eberron, but it's kind of based on Fringe, because there's a. Uh, 
French has multiple dimensions. So like I have one Eberron where it's the real Eberron and the other one's called Eberron. And it's <laughs> in Eberron, uh, the Mornlands are still around. Sira is safe and everything else was destroyed. It's kind of the flip. Oh. So, and so it's all multidimensional and stuff. And the players just love it. They like that, yeah. it's, that I switch back and forth. So as a, is it hard for you when you're a player to turn off the dungeon master part of your brain? Are you like, is it, does it make you a better player or a worse player? Um, I, think, I think it makes me a, maybe a little better because I know the rules. Yeah. But the trouble with that, and the only time I, I get kind of a little antsy is when the dungeon, if the dungeon master lose, con loses control of the party. And what I mean by that is, is if they start talking about work or if they start talking about something else, it's like, it's like, and, then, and the dungeon masters and like, okay, let's bring it back in. And it just goes away that kind of, and then I feel like I'm, I'm assistant DM, like trying to bring it back in. It's like, okay, well, let's see what's going on here. And I've always enjoyed having that assistant DM as a player. I think there was a fear going into, especially new games or new campaigns or new editions where, oh my God, the players are going to know that they know the rules better than I do. But very quickly, it becomes apparent that if there's a question that comes up and the players can answer it amongst themselves, that's actually a lot more helpful. Yeah, I, I love that. And it's what's really cool is, and they want to they want to be there to have fun, so they will help. They're not like it's not a competition. They're this. They're like, oh, I want to do this, and I can, do, and it, and usually let them do it. And if it's right, you know, I trust them, and they trust me, and it usually works out. That said, have you ever killed a party? You know what? No. Really? Yeah. Sarah, well, have you ever? Did you ever not, not the entire party? <laughs> no, I've had people. No. <laughs> that sounds like a fair percentage. Okay. Yeah. I've had, I mean. To it's, tell the tale. Yes. <laughs> I let the dice fall where they may. Okay. But normally, people are very, uh, players are very resilient, and they're also pretty smart on their feet. And usually, if they die because of something stupid, but what I like to do as a DM is uh, I like to have the danger up really high, but I also like to have an out, you know, because how many movies or novels have you read where the hero dies? You know, there's always, almost always an out. It's almost always, you know, they get captured or, or they wake up and they are, they're, you know, they're somewhere else or whatever. So I... You know, but if, you know, if they die, sometimes it's cool because it's dramatic, you know. So I've had players die, but I've never done a TPK. I was just having that discussion with a coworker in movies and books. If you, you know your character, is main character is probably going to get there to the end. So that diffuses a lot of that tension. It's just once you know what goal they have to accomplish, they're probably going to accomplish it. In D&D, the excitement is, well, they might die. They might right. not okay. accomplish the goal. And they know that. I mean, they do know that going in, but they... Um, I don't know. It's just it's more fun if they survive. And uh, now I've been in TPKs. <laughs> I, I, I have, but, you know. So, so asking about uh, your near TPK, what was the experience or the the situation where there was only one? I was running one of our employee game nights here, and oh. I had a lot of I had a lot of new players. And it Great was a very, introduction yeah. to D&D, &D, It was Sarah. a very fast-paced game, and it was one of, I don't think, it wasn't necessarily like a, a Lair Assault level, but it was a little bit more challenging of a, of a game to run, and, um, and it was just, it was a combination of really poor dice rolls and really lucky dice rolls on my part, and just, you know, sort of 
new player decision making. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some so, players never outgrow that. By the way, yeah, like, I, ch- I chased a black dragon down a well today. <laughs> Just thought it'd be cool. Yay. <laughs> but there are players, and I'm one of them, who doesn't mind occasionally dying. Bart it's a is chance totally to make a new them. player. Yes, our new character. I mean, yeah. And some of those deaths are so memorable that you know that you can tell stories about them for years. Yeah, yeah that is true. So I'm just going to give you um, some adjectives, and I want you to tell me what I'm describing. Jefferson, I'm going to okay. quiz you first. Okay. Improvisational, episodic, and fun. Also, we might as well throw this one in, epic. Okay. What does that describe? Um, what does that describe? There really is only one answer to this question. Oh. Uh, it really is. Dungeons and Dragons? No, it describes you as a dungeon master. I did a little bit of recon and uh-huh. dug out some of some people who have played D&D with you as a dungeon master. Oh, wow. And because, well, because the reason why you two are here is because we have always heard stories about how, how great you both are as dungeon oh, masters. When people mm-hmm. talk about great dungeon masters, your names always come up. So not having played with you, I had to dig around and find oh. out what people have said about you, but I will tell you some things that have been said. He is a blast to have in the party in either role, player or dungeon master. Um, that your creativity is what makes you stand out the most. And uh, as far as this person could tell, you write most of your adventures or all of your adventures and somehow find a way to tie these adventures to one another and at the same time into the characters' backgrounds and you work full-time. So what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I ask the players for background stuff and they love to give it. And if they and it's just it's just fuel. You know, if, if someone shows up that's in their background, they love it. And it's so simple, really. I mean, if they tell you one thing, they tell you about a brother yep. or, or an enemy and they show up, they just love it. And the other party members love it too because it just feels like there's this connection. So I have to agree. I've played with dungeon masters that have just been like, okay, we're starting the campaign, go. And then I've played with dungeon masters where they have said before the game, everybody has to like write down a secret about themselves and then it, you also have to write down how you're connected to one other player in the group, and then and then w- with the the new edition, there's so much that oh, yeah. you know with with backstory and backgrounds and all that that you can really get into it. But it immediately connected me and made me more invested in the game, and I just I love having tactics and, and skills like that that dungeon masters can pull in. So I think I think that's a great skill. Do you have any? Tricks like that. that yeah, you do, Sarah? I, before I start a new adventure or a new campaign, I ask the players what they're interested in. So um, we had a we wrapped up an adventure um, in fourth edition, and um, we were ready to try something else. And I didn't really have an adventure lined up, mm-hmm. so I asked them what kinds of adventuring they would be interested in. And resoundingly, they wanted to try something piratey. Oh, okay. So we I, I took the the Freeport setting and I dumped it off the southeast coast of Faerun and we did some pirate adventures. Oh, that's awesome. That's so you just latest, give the players what you what they want. My latest campaign, I was just I just got done went before I started, I just got done watching like all the first season of Black Sails and then up oh, it's going to be pirates. You know? <laughs> that's also on my list of to watch. So were there adjectives for Sarah? Yes. Mean and sneaky or Sneaky conniving. 
No. <laughs> I'll tell you that entertaining came up. Yours was easier to find out because you play with people in the building. And, and I asked you, who, who, who do you play with? Um, so entertaining, fun, flexible, thoughtful, engaging, creative were always adjectives that came up for you. And when asked um, what, what makes you stand out as a good dungeon master... Um, this kind of goes along with what you were just saying. She's not afraid to bend the rules if she thinks that doing so will make the game more interesting and fun. I think that is a really good good skill. And I think what probably maybe prevents a lot of people from trying their hand at dungeon mastering is the belief that you have to know all the rules and that it's really it's time consuming and it's too hard and I'm going to mess up if I don't know what's on page 18 and what happens to a player when they try to jump over a pit. You can kind of make it up. And I think just like Having that that freedom, which kind of sounds counter to like you know we to the rules, but I remember James Wyatt, whose name is all over the fourth edition Dungeon Master's Guide, telling me, "Oh, you don't have to know the rules. Don't worry about it." Like, well, you just spent how much time writing that? You don't care now. <laughs> the rules are there to ensure consistency, right? But as you know, if you know the basics, you can you know if you come up against something that you really you're like oh, I'm not sure how this is going to play out, you can always look it up. But otherwise, you know you're, you know you kind of gauge the sense of the players and where the story's going, and you know you make a gut check about what that's going to do to the story, and make it fun. That's the the key is making it fun for the players. Well, you seem to be succeeding in that. So someone else also said, just a few of the other ones, that uh, she encourages players to take risks and celebrates when the unexpected shifts the game. Yeah. I That's have, important. My right? group is full of crazy risk takers. And so we have a lot of fun. You do. Uh, I asked for some good stories, and people had some very, very funny stories. There, well, oh, Here's this one. Sarah let us bet the life of one of our character's companion animals. <laughs> yes. Oh. It wasn't there. It wasn't there. And then and they lost the bet. So when that guy <laughs> came back to yep. play, his animal companion was, was no, no more. longer there. And That's then terrible. She And I knew exactly. <laughs> like, oh, wow. I, this was all you. Was it Suzanne? Suzanne. It was Suzanne. That's like so, betting your friend's dog in a poker game. And losing. They, yeah. yeah. That that group, so yeah, they they're playing new characters now, but those characters had a little bit of the dark side. <laughs> they they found themselves in a few situations where they were making some decisions about other people's lives that maybe weren't their own. But yeah. that's that's you know that's that swing of the the alignment. You know, if they yeah. start to go chaotic or they're you know they're playing to their character traits. So what came up also for both of you, voices. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that seemed to be a, a that's a, players have named as a good trait in a dungeon master, and you both you both do voices. Yeah. Do you have I can't any do any accents, but I do. Oh, I just do voices. I don't. Yeah. I've got one accent, and that's Count Chocula. <laughs> <Yeah>. Chocula. <laughs> and I don't care who you are or where you're from, but you're going to sound like Count Chocula if you have an accent. I've learned that from telling, uh, telling children's stories at night. You kind of need to have the different voices. You and do, yeah. if you've got one, there's very subtle variations of the one voice. Do you have any favorite voices you can share with us? For a while there, I was trying to use uh, as many voices as I could get from the cartoon Venture Brothers and Adult Swim. Oh. Like Brock Sampson. That's a pretty good <laughs> That's Brock Sampson. good. <laughs> Sounds like Patrick a fit with Eberron. Or, yeah, or, um, and different English accents, but English always goes, whenever I try to do an English accent, it goes from English to New Zealand to Australian. <laughs> and, just all, and it goes to all the 
But uh, piratey, it's like I have to drink water while I do it because I'm always, you know, doing like this. Or, really high for the goblins. <laughs> oh, that's that's good. Yeah. So, yeah, or even posture. Or sometimes I'll get up and move around. Nice. I also like to do handouts. Players mm-hmm. love when you say, and the letter is this. Oh, and so you, you actually create props for the game? Yes, I do. Do you do that too? Not so much, but I, I have thrown them in from time to time. Nice. Yeah. What about your voices? Do you have any good voices? I do Which not you? have any good voices. Your players My say players you think I do. <laughs> <laughs> I have high tone and low tone and whisper and shouting. Um, so it's really, I vary the tone of my voice um, or the deepness or, or lightness. But yeah, uh, no, no standout voices. All right. You I think that's cool that you do that, though. I sometimes will listen to other um, Dungeons & Dragons podcasts, and you'd be surprised at how many Dungeon Masters don't use voices. I'm surprised. Yeah. They just use their voice. They don't use an accent. They don't change anything. And and so I guess that's why they like it. <laughs> yeah. I think role-playing the dialogue with the NPCs is so critical to making yes. that game come alive for the players. Because they'll yeah. remember that NPC, the NPC, and especially if, they, if it's someone that works at a tavern or if it's a... If it's a, uh, you know, like a, maybe the mayor of a town, if you play them the same way, then that kind of ties it into the world more. It's, it's a challenge, though. I'm thinking of, of myself as a, an introvert in a lot of ways and, and shy. And there's sort of barriers to entry to making that jump from player, part of a group, to, to dungeon master. And it's not just rules knowledge. But, but I think there is that, I don't know if it's expectation or just the, the challenge that you are suddenly on stage. And uh, there, there's obviously flares that, that DMs uh, embrace and encompass. Uh, they're, not, they're not always necessary, but um, there, there's a lot of tricks out there that DMs can pick up. Um, but it, is a, it can be, I would say, a, a intimidating move to make to go behind the screen. Are there any pieces of advice or, or tips for potential dungeon masters out there considering making that jump? Hmm. Well, the cool thing about the uh, new edition is that the Dungeon Master's Guide is, this is like the best Dungeon Master's Guide since first edition. I'll just say that right now, in my opinion, because it gives so many helpful tools. It gives so many helpful options. It, uh, the tables, the random tables that are in it are awesome. There's a carousing table, which is just, I love it. Yeah. So there's things that are there that over the years DMs have done in the past have made themselves, and they're in this book. This it is so useful. Are you guys using the tables in the books? Yeah, I have some tables that I have of my own, like random names that I've come up with, and I keep. I actually put this on the inside of my screen, and it's just a list of names because you know the players are gonna come. They're gonna seek out some NPC you did not prepare. Nope. And so you just have to, you know, they're like, "What's your name?" And you have to look at your list real quick and grab one of the names, and ah, then and then I just jot down, you know, who that NPC yeah. was in case they want to go visit them again. I remember who that is. So you just you have to sort of you you have to do some improvisation, and the best thing you can do is just plan for it. Have those tables in the Dungeon Master Guide of you know ready on hand. You know, make photocopies of them, whatever you need to do. Have them there in front of you so that you can just look down and reference something. Make a quick dice roll and and move on with the game. And the other thing is, is don't be if you want to be a Dungeon Master and you have this great adventure that you say, oh, this is awesome. Players love it. 
don't be upset if they veer away from it. Yes. That's because sometimes that's the most fun. They'll they'll pick a wrong thing. And part of the improvisation just kind of is to steer them back or steer them on a different course. But they have more fun when they feel like they have total free will. Mm -hmm. So don't get upset if they, because no matter, best laid plans, the players are always going to think up something to, to, to make it crazy. <laughs> that was a fatal mistake for me in my first attempt at, at dungeon mastering because I planned and planned and planned and planned for everything that I thought was going to happen and I had no plan for when they started the adventure and went left yeah. instead of right. And I'm like, I don't have no idea what's there. And I just fell apart. I just couldn't, I just couldn't figure it out. Do you think it's easier for a new dungeon master to start playing with players who are experienced or brand new players? Hmm. My personal experience was my first time DMing was a mixed group. Okay. So we had new, brand new players, never played before, and I had several players that were old hands had been playing for decades, multiple editions. And so, um, like Jefferson said, sometimes those people that know the rules are a really useful tool to use the DM, yeah. especially when you're players, new. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the players are going to be forgiving whether they're seasoned or new. I mean, you're all there to have fun. And, right. um, and we important. laugh about some of the mistakes I've made. And, you know, when I first started a fourth, when fourth edition came out and I started a campaign, uh, half the players, it was a, it was a split down the middle. Half of them were brand new, had never played D&D &D before. And the other half were experienced. And what I noticed between the difference of the two players is the experienced players wanted to be, make the most functional character, like, you know, using the rules. The the new players wanted to make the most interesting character. They were all about the story. They were all about... So, in a way, that was easier because they, it didn't matter if they knew the rules that well or not. They knew what... They understood what type of character they wanted to be, so they just need a little help with when to roll the dice and whatever, but it's still... Having a mixed party is great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that takes some of the, the pressure off, I would imagine. So one thing that I always got hung up on, I think when, when I first started playing D&D, &D, is I was under the impression that the dungeon master was an adversarial role towards the player. <laughs> I just thought, like, they were trying to kill me, and I think that is because my dungeon master was, in fact, trying to kill us all, of, all the time. That, and he took great joy in trying to kill us. So when I moved on to my next group, I just, like, instantly was like, I'm, I'm defensive, like, I'm ready, like, I... I don't think you're happy that I just critted. I think you're mad that I am succeeding against this monster that you put in my path. But it, he was like, no, no, no. Like, I, I want you guys to actually succeed. And I'm st I still have trouble believing that all the time. Um, but is that true? Are you, ex are, are you rooting for the players through it all? Or are you kind of like, oh, I'm super excited this beholder is just going to crush them or... What's the, I want to make it as challenging as possible, but fun. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, I yeah, it's it's fun for me to, you know, throw challenges in there that, you know, I don't really know what the outcome's going to be. Right. Okay. It scares them. And, yeah. you yeah. know, there's been some times where they'll go up against a monster they know is, is, is going to be tough, but then they do something that makes total sense and they kind of has the fight goes a different way. And, of course, it's like, awesome, you know, great. That was great thinking. It all, all problems can't be solved by just whittling away hit points. So it's kind of neat when they come up with something new and different. So yeah, I kind of, I want the players to have fun. Okay. Whether that means they're killing or dying. Because yeah. <laughs> sometimes I feel guilty when we kill the monster. Like the dungeon master was like, oh, they can I really loved that one. Always 
bring you something worse <laughs> next will. week. Yes. That's exactly. the thing. Yeah. So being, oh, sorry. That I was going to say, maybe one more question uh, before we wrap up for the segment? Now that we're in the throes of, of Dungeon Master Appreciation Month, which, you know, it's high time that we are officially appreciating our Dungeon Masters, what what are some ways that, that you think would, would uh, help you, either you, for your players specifically on how they could appreciate you as a Dungeon Master or just great ways to appreciate Dungeon Masters in general? I think the the... the best feeling of appreciation I get from my players is hearing them, you know, a year down the road telling, rehashing stories about, you know, something that I put together in one of my, you know, custom campaigns or adventures that they really appreciated or they, they thought was great um, and, um, and tying that back, you know, to the story. So just having that resonate over time um, feels really good. That's very cool. That they're always looking forward to coming back. One of the things that we did when we started out the, the latest group is we made a secret uh, Facebook group oh. with just me and the party members. And that That's is so idea. cool because people can talk back and forth. And, and it's really neat to see that they're all excited with coming back. And also when they bring rum. Because <laughs> I have a ritual before every session, everybody has to take a shot. Whoa, so you're, you're clearly not playing at work. <laughs> no, I'm not playing at work. No, 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 no. It's but it is pirate-themed. Yeah. It, is, it, it is at home, and it's yes, it's every, every time we play. <laughs> All right. I think that, that could help some players. Just loosen up a little. I don't get those magic missiles ready to roll. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, uh, we certainly appreciate your time coming in today and talking about your role here at Wizards of the Coast and as Dungeon Masters. And... From all of us here at Wizards of the Coast, we certainly give our appreciation to all of the DMs out in the world as well. And encouragement to anyone who is interested in potentially taking up that role as well. Yes, thank you, Dungeon Master. Yes, You're welcome. indeed. You're quite welcome. So thanks to Sarah and Jefferson and earlier to Scott Kurtz on behalf of Shelley Mazenoble and Trevor Kidd and myself, Bart Carroll. Thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons podcast. As always, you can download it directly from the D&D website, dungeonsanddragons.com, or from iTunes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>